Let me join with Brother Kurt in mentioning again the fact that our gospel meeting will be beginning two weeks from today. Several weeks ago, we ordered 2,500 of these cards, and uh, we have given out about 1,500 of them. I know that still leaves 1,000 in there, but they were just as cheap to buy 2,500 as it was to buy 1,000. But I will tell you that if you will pick some of these up, take them to the various places where you go, uh, give them to your friends, leave some in an office where you may be visiting, uh, let someone know because after two weeks these will not be uh, of any use for us anymore. But I will tell you, Brother Gary McDade will do a tremendous job in preaching God's Word. And if we'll get people here, I know that they will hear the gospel preached and that they cannot help but be encouraged and edified to be obedient to God. Now if you'll focus your mind with me for just a few minutes to the book of Colossians, to chapter 3, and we're going to begin our study in verse 5, and we'll study through verse 11. I want to begin by asking a thought-provoking question, as I have in each one of these lessons. Have you ever been embarrassed by old, smelly clothes that you couldn't wait to get off? Maybe you've been working in the field. Maybe you've been working in a factory. Maybe you've been working in your home, and you have gotten dirty, the clothes have become smelly, and now you realize, I would feel really good if I could just get these clothes off and get me a good shower or a good bath. Let me ask a similar question. Have you ever had someone point out to you a stain on your clothing of which you were unaware? That happens to me frequently. Uh, ties are something that preachers seemingly are obligated to wear. And quite often someone will say, do you know that you have something on your tie there? And uh, I'll say, no, I didn't. It wasn't visible to me. But that stain is still there anyway. The truth is, behavior is like clothing. Sometimes our behavior becomes dirty it becomes very fragrant with a bad aroma. In other words, our actions stink. Sometimes we have a stain in our life that we may be just totally oblivious to. We may not even realize it's there. We may not realize our need to clean up, but it is still there. The main message of this section, if you really want to boil it down and say... What's it trying to say? It's trying to say that you and I need to make a clean break with our sinful past. That means that I need to not let sin dwell in this physical body of mine if I am a child of God. So this morning we're going to look at two things. Verses 5 through 7, we'll talk about death to sin. And then Paul is going to use another figure of speech in verses 8 through 11, and that is disrobing our sinful life. Now, I will tell you, sometimes we think of death as being something bad, and occasionally it is. We lose a loved one, we go through difficult problems like that, that's, that's bad. On the other hand, sometimes death is good. Yesterday afternoon, I was at Micah's house, and we were cutting up an old tree. 
I walked over and looked, and there was something about this long, about this big around. I double-checked, triple-checked, and quadruple-checked to see if it was dead. Kind of find out it was plastic. And uh, <laughs> even then I thought I'd need to kill it. Uh, the only good snake is a dead snake in my mind. I know some people say there's some good ones. I haven't met one of them yet. And they say, well, they, they won't kill you. They will if they give you a heart attack. But death is not always bad. Death to something bad and wicked and ugly is good. So well, let's take verses 5 through 7. Let's look at them again. I want to break them down for you in more than one way. So let's look as we begin this passage. Therefore, put to death your members which are on the earth, fornication, uncleanness, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Because of these things, the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience, in which you yourselves once walked when you lived in them. If you're reading the original King James, you see that word there, mortify. That's where we get the word mortician from. Mortuary science, that of death. What Paul is talking about here is actually killing the part of our life that is wicked and wrong. We're going to talk a little more about that specifically. Then he's going to begin listing some of the things that we ought to put to death in our life. And these are things that we have to actively participate in. It's not as if I have to let something die. It's something that I have to kill myself. I've got to be active in it. I want you to drop down with me to verses 6 and 7 because these are key verses in understanding why I must do this. Because of these things, Things, the things he talks about in verses, uh, verse 5, are the things that God's wrath is going to come upon man because of. God is going to punish men who participate in these sins. If you will notice in verse 7, in which you yourselves also once walked. These are things that Christians used to do, but no longer do. These are things that used to be a common part of a person's life. But he said, you don't do them anymore. He said, when you lived in them, when that was your manner of life, he said, but that's not who you are anymore. It reminds me of what Paul wrote the Corinthians in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 9 through 11. And then he says, and such were some of you. But you were washed, you were sanctified, you were justified. When Paul speaks of sins, they're always to be in the past tense in our lives. If they are in present tense, we've got a real problem. Let's look now at, first of all, this idea of putting something to death. When you read the Bible, you will find out that putting to death sin and baptism go together. Let me, for instance, look at Romans chapter 6 and verses 4 through 6. Therefore, 
we were buried with him through baptism into death, that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. Now Paul will explain. For if we have been united together in the likeness of his death, certainly we also shall be in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, now here's the key phrase, that our old man was crucified with him, that the body of sin might be done away, that we should no longer be slaves of sin. We crucified the old man. The truth is that old part of us, that previous life that we lived, was bad. And so Paul says you need to crucify it. And he says when you did it, it was when you were buried with him in baptism. In the book of Galatians, chapter 3, verses 26 through 29, For you are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. For as many of you as were baptized into Christ have put on Christ. There's neither Jew nor Greek, there's neither slave nor free, there's neither male nor female, for you're all one in Christ Jesus. And if you're of Christ, then you're of Abraham's seed and heirs according to the promise. Later on, when you get to chapter 5, verse 24, Paul said, And those who are Christ have crucified the flesh, now listen, with its passions and desires. That's exactly what he's talking about over here in Colossians chapter 3. Our passions and our desires. When you become a Christian, when I became a Christian, we are to have died to sin. We are to have crucified that old man. Death comes at repentance. You see, just like in real life, we don't bury a live person. We bury a dead person. And death to sin occurs, and then we bury that person in baptism. Listen to Acts chapter 2, verses 37 and 38. Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? Then Peter said to them, Repent, and let every one of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins. There is a connection, folks, between our dying to sin, repentance, and then being baptized for the remission of those sins. Our problem is that too many of us are trying to keep our sinful past on life support. We don't want to give up. We don't want to let it go of it. We don't want to let it pass. But in Romans chapter 8, and verse 13, Paul put it like this. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Those who are trying to cling on to a sinful past do not realize they're actually killing themselves. They're bringing about their own spiritual death. Then he speaks about your members which are on the earth. Earthly members. There's an importance to that word earth. You know, when I go to James chapter 3, verses 13 through 16, Paul is going to describe to me the wisdom that's from above, and then he's going to talk about the wisdom that is on the earth. And he says, Who is wise and understanding among you? Let him show by good conduct that his works are done in the meekness of wisdom. 
But now listen, if you have bitter and self-seeking in your hearts, do not boast and lie against the truth. This wisdom does not descend from above, but is earthly, sensual, and demonic. For where envy and self-seeking exist, confusion and every evil thing are there. He said, this is the kind of way that worldly, earthly people think. In Philippians 2, verses 18 and 19, Paul says, For many of whom I have told you often and now tell you weeping, that they are enemies of the cross of Christ, whose end is destruction, whose God is their belly, whose glory is their shame. Now here's the understanding phrase, who set their mind on earthly things. People who think about earthly things versus spiritual things, who dwell on the material, who dwell on the physical, who dwell on the sensual. He said those are the people who are the enemies of the cross of Christ. Let's look at that list that Paul gives. We don't have time to just pursue every avenue to its full, complete end, but let's, let's pursue some of them. The first word he uses is fornication. That refers to any sex outside of a husband and a wife in marriage. Any of it. It could refer to somebody who's not married. It could refer to a homosexual relationship. It could refer to uh, uh, a person who is married committing adultery. I want you to listen to Hebrews 13 and verse 4. Marriage is honorable among all, and the bed undefiled. But fornicators and adulterers God will judge. Folks, let me be as plain as I possibly can. We sometimes tiptoe around this issue because we tend to not want to be uh, overly uh, frank about this kind of issue, but the world is dealing with it every day on the television, and they're telling us there's nothing wrong with two people living together. There's nothing wrong, they would say, in a man marrying a man or a man marrying a woman, and people's philosophies are changing. But let me tell you, the Bible still says marriage is honorable among all and the bed undefiled. And it still says fornicators and adulterers, God will judge. You see, God had a plan from the very beginning how to deal with this. In 1 Corinthians chapter 7 and verse 2, he says, Nevertheless, because of fornication, let every man have his own wife and let every woman or each woman have her own husband. God knew that there was a physical desire there. He put it there. He made an avenue for it to be fulfilled and Paul is trying to say to those Colossians, just like he said to the Galatians, just like he said to the Corinthians, just like he said to the Ephesians, just like he said everywhere, that's something that Christians can't participate in. This is something you've got to put to death. You don't participate in this any longer. The second thing he speaks about is uncleanness. And it describes filthiness, dirty, Morally corrupt. Most often it is associated with the word fornication or lewdness itself. 
In Romans chapter 1 and verse 24, Paul would write, Therefore God also gave them up into uncleanness in the lust of their hearts to dishonor their bodies among themselves. Dishonor their bodies. Do you realize today we're being told that it's all right if a person wants to strip down and go naked or partially naked? Our television throws this at us all the time. And here he says, God gave them up because of that. Brother Harold mentioned in his prayer about God giving up on the cities of the plains, Sodom and Gomorrah. And he also prayed that there might be enough righteous among us for God not to destroy us. When Paul wrote the Romans in Romans 6 and 19, he says, I speak in human terms because of the weakness of your flesh. For just as you presented your members as slaves of uncleanness and of lawlessness, leading to more lawlessness, so now present your members as slaves of righteousness for holiness. It's time, folks, for us to put that behind us. Put it to death. The third thing of which he speaks is passion. Passion can sometimes be good and passions can sometimes be bad. Here he's speaking of a sensual passion, a lust. For instance, in 1 Thessalonians chapter 4, verses 3 through 5, For this is the will of God for your sanctification, that each of you should abstain from fornication, that each of you should know how to possess his own vessel, in sanctification and honor, not in passion of lust, like the Gentiles who do not know God. I want you to key on in verse 4 there to possess his own vessel. You know, there's some things that are potentially dangerous. You think about, for instance, uh, some dogs like pit bulls. They have a nature about them that they can attack, and when they do attack, they can be very vicious, harm people. If I owned a pit bull, I would need to be the kind of person who knew how to possess it in such a fashion that I don't let it get out of hand. Paul is speaking here about each person knowing how to possess their own vessel to the extent here, he says, in sanctification and honor. And then he specifically says, not in passion of lust like the Gentiles who do not know God. Folks, we cannot live like the people of the world. We can't be guided by physical urges and desires that says give in whenever and wherever you want to. Romans 1 verse 26 for this reason, God gave them up to vile passions, for even their women exchanged the natural use for that which is against nature. Then he speaks of evil desire. You now, just like passion, there can be good desire and bad desire. The word evil is used, for instance, in 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 6, that we should not lust after evil things, which they also lusted. Or you drop down to chapter 15 and verse 23 when he says, Do not be deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. You have good company, they can help you 
You know, Solomon says, walk with wise men and you'll be wise. Evil desire, wanting bad things, evil things, is something we need to stop doing. In fact, we put that to death. And then the last of these is covetousness, which he says is idolatry. Our country has perfected the art of lusting after things. It doesn't matter what you buy. You buy an electronic device. You go to the store and you say, Oh, i got to get me this new cell phone. Model XYZ. You know what happens just as you walk out the door? There's a one that supersedes it. And now you're already behind Commercials say, oh, you need to get the new model. And you felt, oh, no, I'm, I'm behind the times now. We are perfected by our commercialism where we're trying to train people. You need to get rid of this and get the new one. We're climbing a ladder which never has a top rung on it. Listen to Jesus in Luke 12 and verse 15. And he said to them, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. You know, I, some of us even laugh at the statement that's made, he who has the most toys wins. No. He who has the purest heart wins. Blessed are the pure in heart for they shall see God. Now, very quickly, study with me as we begin in verses 8 going through verse 11. But now you put off all these anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy language out of your mouth. Do not lie to one another since you have put off the old man with his deeds and have put on the new man who is renewed in the knowledge of according to the image of him who created him. And where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all in all. Now, Paul uses the word put off in the sense of a person disrobing. You know, I could take my jacket off up here and lay it aside, disrobe, that's what he's picturing. For instance, in Acts chapter 7 and verse 58, Stephen was being stoned and they cast him out of the city and stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their clothes at the feet of the young man named Saul. They took off their cloak, outer garment. Why did they do that? They've got to be able to pick up them stones and throw them. Hebrews 12, verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight. The word lay aside is, you know, athletes used to run with little weights around their feet so it would make them faster. And he says you need to take those off. Literally, the idea is, is that there are things that have been a part of our lives that we need to take off. We need to disrobe and get rid of. Let's look at that list for just a moment. The first one is anger. 
second one's going to be wrath. But let me take the two of them together here. The Greek word for anger is orge. And it means a deep-seated hostility. The kind of anger that when you see somebody makes your blood boil. You detest them. You can't stand them. That hostility comes day by day. And generally it grows because we nurture it. The other word, wrath, is from the Greek word thumos. From we, we get our word thermometer, thermostat. And it describes that quick flash outburst of wrath. You know, someone's sitting around, you think everything's fine, and somebody says something that sets them off, and immediately they just, just like a flash of fire. Occasionally in the New Testament, both words are translated anger. Occasionally in the New Testament, both words are translated wrath. I wish the translators had been consistent, translated one one way, one the other, but they didn't. Anger is found here is translated wrath in James chapter 1, verse 19 and 20. So then, my beloved brethren, let every man be swift to hear, slow to speak, slow to wrath. Why? For the wrath of man does not produce the righteousness of God. What he's talking about is we ought to be the kind of people slow to develop this sense of hostility. We ought to be the kind of people slow to lose uh, any sort of control over our feelings. The wrath, the outburst of anger, Paul describes it in 2 Corinthians 12, 20. For I fear when I come I shall not be found such or I shall find you such as I wish that I shall be found by you as you do not wish lest there be contentions, jealousies and then he says outbursts of wrath. I can visualize the congregation at Corinth having people who when they heard something just lost their temper. We don't need either one of those. We need to get rid of that. Malice goes along with them. Malice is the desire because I have the hostility, because I have the wrath to then want to inflict harm. Did you hear what they said about me? I'm going to get even with them. That's malice. Paul would say in Ephesians 4.31, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, evil speaking be put away from you with all malice. Christians ought to be wise as serpents and, Jesus says, harmless as doves. Folks, you can't be a faithful Christian and be mean. It's that simple. 1 Corinthians 14, 20, Brethren, do not be children in understanding. However, in malice be babes, but in understanding be mature. He says, I want you to be like children when it comes to malice. Blasphemy can refer to the railing and reviling of both God and man. One of the best passages I think on it is found in Jude verse 9. Yet Michael the archangel in contending with the devil 
when he disputed about the body of Moses, dared not bring against him a reviling or accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke you. No need, folks, to let our mouths speak evil things. Filthy language out of your mouth. No need for obscene stories or dirty jokes. Matthew 12, 34 tells us, Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. You want to know why people use bad language? You want to know why people tell the dirty stories? Because they're in their heart to start with. You want to eliminate those from your life? Clean up your heart. Put to death the sins. Disrobe. Take off these sinful things. Lying. I could give you a whole lot of passages on lying. John 8 and verse 44. Jesus says that he who speaks a lie speaks from his own resources because he's a liar and the father of it talking about the devil. Revelation 21 and verse 8, all liars shall have their part in the lake of fire and brimstone, which is the second death. It's past time for those of us who claim to be Christians to put to death the sinful behavior in our lives. We need to take it off and not ever put it back on again. Now I'll tell you something that is growing up as a child my mother used to love to patch my old clothes. I'd have blue jeans that'd have holes in the knees. She'd go buy these patches that were a different shade of blue and iron them onto my pants and then sew them on top of that, and I thought that was awful. Let me tell you something, though. Too many times we're trying to keep our old lives patched up, stitched up, when we ought to just be taking them off and buying something new. You know, we are raised to walk in newness of life. This morning, if you're not a Christian, the purpose of our singing and invitation song is to encourage you to be obedient to the gospel of Jesus Christ. If you don't know what you need to do to be a Christian and you feel like you need more study, you tell me after services, we'll, we'll study with you. We'll set a time. But if you know what you need to do, now's the time for you to respond to it. If you're a Christian and these sins that we've talked about, if they're in your life, it's now time for you to repent of it. Don't fool yourself. You can't go to heaven participating in these sins. If you need to respond, please come as we stand and sing.